0: This morning we are going to open God's Word um, from the book of Acts, and uh, I know that you all probably aren't quite exactly where uh, I am here in Acts, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background about where um, we are in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 4. Um, just before this, um, Jesus ascended um, and established his church. Uh, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, came upon them in Pentecost, and bless them, and then um, the ministry of the church um, kind of began just before this. Uh, just before chapter 4, uh, Peter and John were at the temple in Jerusalem, and they healed a man who had been lame for 40 years. Um, and then we find ourselves here in, um, in Acts 4. So I'm going to read for us Acts 4, verses 1 through 31. And as they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about five thousand. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me for the teaching of it? Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would speak, Lord, that you would speak just as we sung before this um, to us by your spirit, that you would illuminate your words to us this morning. Lord, that I would decrease and that you would increase. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, I neglected to introduce my family. Uh, my wife, Allison, is here, uh, as well as my son, Hewitt, and my daughter, Annie Drew. Uh, our youngest daughter is actually not here. She's in Atlanta with her grandmother, so um, we're enjoying a little bit uh, quieter home. Maybe not quieter, but, uh, you know, less populated home for the week. For the week, So... Um, We live in North Charleston. Uh, We love living there. We've lived here for about two years. Um, We're excited for uh, the weather to warm up a little bit and to get on our bikes and ride around Park Circle area. We love um, that part of town. So um, we'd love to meet you if we haven't already met. Um, As we begin, I want to tell you a little story uh, about a young man who was raised in a Christian home. Uh, He was a brilliant student. Everywhere he went, he succeeded. And then, um, as, as, as one does, he moved away from home for schooling, and as he did so, he began a relationship with a woman, and they quickly became sexual, they had a child, and um, he didn't pursue marriage with this woman. Of course, uh, this, this man's mother didn't approve of this and urged him to end the relationship, uh, but this man's life was marked by sin. Um, drunkenness, licentiousness, licentiousness, sexual sin. As this man continued in his studies, he continued to excel. He began to explore other religions. And one day he heard of a famous speaker who was coming to town to speak in his area, and he sought him out. He sat and he was amazed by the man himself. Not, not as much with the content by what he, with what he was saying, but he was stunned by his eloquence and the testament of his life and character. A few, years, a few years later, our main character was sitting in his, in his house and he heard a child outside his window um, say, take up and read. He felt this urge to obey the command and he had sitting in front of him a Bible. So he, he grabbed it and he turned to the fl- first place he saw and he began to read. Um, it was then that this, that this man was, be, was convinced of his own sin and began to follow Jesus. Can anyone tell me who this, who this man is? Anyone know? Saint Augustine. That's right. Uh, my college students didn't know who it was. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, this is uh, Saint Augustine, and he lived in the fourth century of uh, in North Africa. And he wrote a book about this experience and about his uh, his. It was about his life experience, um, and he called, it was called Confessions. Uh, and it's one of the most respected um, central theological texts um, that we that we have today. And in it, he writes about what he came to believe about God and what he experienced that led him to that belief. So this morning, we are talking about being a confessing people. And as we think about what it means to be a confessing people, what is confession? Um, And as St. Augustine describes confession, that's how we're going to talk about it this morning. It's not sitting in a dark booth and confessing your sins and everything you've done wrong to a priest. But rather, what it is for us this morning is a bold witness. Confession is a bold individual who brings to the world both what you believe and what you've experienced. It's someone who witnesses to the work of God in their lives. This morning, we're going to talk about what it might look like to bring this confession out into the world. Because desiring to be someone who confesses your faith is all well and good. But you and I both know the truth of our world and our culture. And we know that you're going to face opposition if you seek to do this. Likewise, in our passage, we see how Peter and John are facing opposition. But this morning, we're going to see how Peter and John and their story in this chapter of Acts shows us that we can be bold in our confession because God is who he says he is. So in our passage this morning, this confession is going to have two parts. Um, First, we're going to talk about uh, confessing what we believe. And second, confessing our experiences. A bold confession of our belief and a bold confession of our experiences. So first, a bold confession of our belief. To be a Christian is fundamentally to believe in something. is to believe in a power higher than yourself, God, and to put your faith in him. One of the most basic statements of the Christian faith, which conveniently is printed right here to my left, your right, um, is the Apostles' Creed. And the very first two words, which I noticed were in all caps there, say i believe to be a christian means to believe in something and they're repeated throughout Uh, the whole statement is about what we believe it's based on believing in something but what is it that they believe peter and john and with them the early church believed in a person they believed in jesus the son of god and in our passage i want you to see this morning that their belief was a verified appeal that challenges, a verified appeal that challenges. So first, how is it verified? Look with me in verse 10. Um, it says that they, um, they point to this man. They show this man to, to the council, um, who is a direct witness, a direct attestation of what God has done and of the power of God. Confession always needs to be verified. This man is a living example of what God has done. Anytime you go to give a confession of what you believe, it must include verification. And we'll talk more about what that looks like in our second point uh, a little bit practically. When, but whenever you give a testimony, a witness, it has to include a living example of what God has done that verifies his power. So it's a verified, but it's also an appeal. Look in verse 12. Um, it, it says there that there is salvation in no one else. And what they're doing there is uh, they are appealing to the council that we must be saved. Um, fundamentally, as humans, we need to be saved. And it's a reminder um, that we can't save ourselves. And it's an appeal to find your savior in Jesus. It has to be an appeal. It's never just, um, confession is never just information for information's sake. It has to draw in the hearer. It has to invite them to, uh, to participate in what you're presenting before them. It's not just something that you mentally assent to, but it's actually a whole life commitment. Um, your goal is not just to convey an idea, but your goal is actually to shape their desires, to present your belief in such a way that they begin to desire it along with you. So it's a verified appeal, but it also challenges. Uh, look back in verse 10, it begins with a challenge. Um, it talks about how um, that he accuses the council um, as the, as they are the ones who crucified Jesus. It, it has a challenge. And, um, I'm, I'm realizing that, uh, as Nick was mentioning earlier from, uh, first Samuel, uh, Jesus was opposed. He was opposed by the council and here Peter and John are opposing the council and accusing them of what they did in crucifying Jesus. When we enter a room and, and begin to confess what we believe, it's inevitably going to lead to a challenge. Now, of course, uh, I want to uh, point out to us that this shouldn't be a challenge that alienates, as many challenges can sometimes do in our world. It's not meant to alienate, but rather it's meant to be a challenge that leads to a healthy self-examination. The challenge should show the audience that they are missing something, right? It's not just a statement of facts. Um, it's meant to point out to those listening that it requires a re- answer of them. It requires a response of them. It's meant to show them that their very being needs what you are speaking about. So our confession needs to be a verified appeal that challenges. A famous Methodist evangelist named Peter Cartwright uh, was known for his uncompromising preaching. Um, the president in his day, uh, Andrew Jackson, was coming to his church. And uh, as, he, as, he, as the church began to pre- pre- prepare for this visit the elders of the church warned the pastor not to offend uh, the president. Because in those days, the president uh, had great power to influence uh, a denomination or a church for good or for bad. So when Cartwright got out to speak, the first words out of his mouth were this. He said, I understand that President Andrew Jackson is here this morning. I have been requested to be very guarded in my remarks. Let me say this. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent of his sin.'" The entire congregation gasped uh, with shock at Cartwright's boldness. How could this young preacher dare to offend the tough old general in public? And uh, after the service, everyone wondered what, president, what the president's response was going to be to Cartwright. So uh, Andrew Jackson met the preacher at the door. Um, he looked at him in the eye, and he said this. He said, sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could conquer the world. Cartwright here displayed surprising boldness. And this is the kind of boldness that Peter and John um, display as they, as they uh, speak to the council. And we can learn from them. They boldly spoke out in the midst of opposition. So maybe you're saying, okay, Jacob, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Uh, I'm buying it. But this is all well and good. It sounds great. But, but Peter and John were thrown into prison. And they were questioned by a, a council of powerful men. Um, you and I both know, like I said earlier, that we are going to face opposition if we bring this confession out into the world. So how do we maintain this bold confession in the face of opposition? Um, There's going to be a number of places where you will probably face opposition. I'm just going to list a few. Um, If you bring this confession, you are probably going to face opposition in your workplace. Some of you um, may face this opposition in your own family. Maybe you have parents that don't share your faith. Uh, many of you are going to face opposition in your neighborhood, uh, with your neighbors, with those that live in proximity to you. You probably will also face opposition if you begin to speak about this on social media. Um, there is going to be opposition from every ter- from every direction if we bring this confession out into the world. But this morning, I want to give you encouragement that the Spirit has given you power. You have been empowered to bring this witness into our lives, into your lives. This book, the Book of Acts, is in very, very many ways, is the story of Jesus. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, traditionally, but it may actually be better called the Acts of Jesus. And I think it's better called the Acts of Jesus by his Spirit, because the Spirit is all throughout the book of Acts. The Spirit has given you power. Can you believe that God has equipped you to bring this true confession forward? Can you believe that he will be with you, even if things aren't easy or cause trepidation? A theologian, William Willimon, said this about this this dynamic. He said, the same power which brought the world into being, which enables the community to worship, will also be with the community in times of persecution. What he's saying is that if you believe this story to be true, that God is the God who made all things and sustains all things, then we have nothing to fear because he has empowered us. Um, I also want to encourage you to tell you that you're not doing this alone. When you make this confession, when you bring this confession out into the world, uh, what you're, you're not actually inviting them to yourself. What you're inviting them to is into a people, right? You're inviting them for you all into this beautiful building, this, into this beautiful church community. Uh, you can invite them into a dinner with a family from, from church or uh, another Christian family. You're inviting this person into a people, not just to yourself. And finally, um, as we turn to our second point, one of the main ways you can make this confession, one of the main ways you can tell the story of who God is, is by telling your story. It's by telling your experiences. So let's turn to our second point, a bold confession of our experience. We're going to be looking mainly in verses 19 to 22 here. When we boldly confess in this way, we simply and humbly give an account of our experiences with confidence. So we're going, to do, we're going to talk about sim- simple and humble, giving an account of our experiences, and then confidence. Look in verse 20 to see what we see there. Um, in verse 20, it tells us that they cannot speak. They cannot but speak of what they have seen and heard. Uh, they, an- they give a simple answer. They answer simply with what they've seen and what they've heard. There's no grand emotional testimony, There's no sophisticated evangelistic presentation with charts and graphs and, you know, uh, all the things that um, maybe some of you have seen before. There's no theologically robust paper with citations and footnotes talking about all the right theologians. What it is is just a confession that they have seen transformative power at work in this man. It's powerful, but it's simple. And it's also humble. Uh, It's not about you. It's not about Peter and John, it's about God. It's about what God is doing um, in this world. It's not about mustering up enough courage or psyching yourself up to make some presentation. It's actually about you becoming small and him becoming big. It's about you becoming small and him becoming big. So it's simple and humble, but it's also an account of their experience. Um, What they saw and experienced was the amazing transformation of this man through the power of the Spirit in them. They saw this man who had been lame from birth changed in an instant. And everyone knew this man. Everyone knew that he had been lame for 40 years. They knew this man from the temple. Um, He was unable to walk. And then in an instant, his life completely changed. At its core, what they're giving is an account of the way God is at work through them. And so what they're really confessing is the power of God. They're confessing the power of God as they confess their experiences. But they also do it with confidence. I want you to notice how confidently they go about sharing this story, even amidst varying results. If you look back in verse 4 at the beginning of the passage, uh, when Peter and John give this testimony of what happened in this man, uh, we find that 2,000 people were saved. 2,000 people. Um, That's astounding. But then in verse 21, when Peter and John give this same testimony uh, before the council, we find that it falls on deaf ears. And so what I'm trying to tell you today is that I cannot and I will not promise you that whenever you bring this testimony, whenever you have an audience, um, that they are going to receive the testimony that you have to give. But what I can do is encourage you to take the same confidence that Peter and John took, regardless of what the result will be. Because they took this confidence with them, regardless of the audience. Can we likewise be confident in the witness of what God has done in us? Um, I've Find myself uh, when, when we need to purchase a new household item, pretty stressed out. I don't know about you all um, out there if you feel the same way. Um, I find myself stressed in finding the right the right item, right? So if if I'm buying uh, an ironing an iron uh, or you know whatever the household item is, if I'm buying one, I want to make sure I'm getting the right one. I'm getting the best one. I'm getting one that's going to work uh, that won't break after six months of use. Um, I would imagine many of you have bought some sort of item like this and you've been frustrated when it breaks and you're like, how do I know which one to get? How do I know the right version to get? Um, I think the power of a testimonial, of someone who can tell can tell you, I've, I've bought this thing, I've used this thing, and I've seen that it stands the test of time, is really powerful. Um, I have found a website where I do this, I'd be happy to share it with you after the service. Um, there's individuals who buy all the best items or all the most common items, um, and they test them. They put them through the ringer, and they show you which one is the best one to buy, which one you can spend your money on, and be confident in the result. The point is this. It can be a great help to know that someone has gone before, and that you can verify that the item that you're buying works. It can give a testimony to the item itself. And the same is true for our faith. For our neighbors to consider following Jesus, we have to demonstrate the plausibility, the believability of our faith in him. And this is what it looks like. Um, it's, you're saying, it's how I was changed. Um, this is what it looks like. It's how I was changed. Can, can we be ready to give that kind of answer to our neighbors? Maybe you're asking, how do I do this? When do I do this? How do we confess our experiences? And it's a great question, uh, one that I cannot answer for you t- this morning. Um, but I can tell you that the Spirit will guide you to know when is the right time to bring your experiences forward in this way. And also, importantly, we have to remember that our experiences, our lives, can, actually be, far, can actually, actually be far more effective and plausible testimonies than some sophisticated presentations. Go in with confidence, knowing that your life, your own experience, is a witness in itself. Uh, friends, you will experience opposition. And you will experience opposition primarily because you are different. The way that you think about things. The way that you live your life will be different than those around you. The way that you spend your money will be different. You will be noticed, but we can rejoice knowing that as we're being noticed, we're actually confessing God with our lives. When you prioritize time in the Word, when you regularly attend worship, your friends will notice. When you go away for a retreat or you attend a local retreat, um, like is coming up in a few weeks here, when you do that to learn more about God, your friends will notice. When you refuse to cut corners at work, your friends will notice. Through all these acts, all these little witnesses, you are confessing your Lord and Savior, and you are taking a stand against the ways of the world. It's through your life, through your experiences, that you can bear witness to Jesus, that you can be a confessing people. I'd imagine some of you are sitting here this morning because you've seen this. Maybe some of you were invited by a friend or maybe some of you saw a friend and saw God at work in them and uh, you were intrigued. You were interested to know um, what it might look like, um, how the Christian story might help you make sense of your own life the way that it has for your friends. As we close, I want to look at the prayer at the end of our passage. Um, In verse 29, I want you to note what Peter and John ask for. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I had just come from this harrowing experience where I'd been thrown in prison and questioned by powerful men, I would probably ask for protection. I would thank God for getting me out of that situation. But what Peter and John asked for is they asked for continued boldness. It's astounding. Peter and John have been so captivated by the truth of the gospel, by the testimony of what God has done, Um, in them and through them that they have this singular focus and that singular focus is continuing to spread the good news out into the world can we say that we have this same boldness this same courage it's my prayer this morning that we can say this it's my hope that we can be witnesses who boldly confess both what we believe and what we experience and um, that we can bring that testimony out into the world would you pray with me Our Father, we need your power. We need your spirit to help us as we seek to be confessing, a confessing people. As we seek to be witnesses to what you have done, Lord, in our world, through your son Jesus, but also in our own lives, the ways that you've transformed us, the ways that you've reshaped us more into your image. We ask that you would give us boldness. We, along with Peter and John, give, uh, offer this prayer to you. We pray that you would answer it. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.